WBEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts, and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation. Plus, MSNBC chief correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Mary Dixon, and this is Reset, where we bring you the news and conversations that matter most in your day-to-day lives. I'm in the host chair for the rest of the week. Fifty years ago today, this sentence, buried in a bulky education bill and written under a section labeled Title IX, was signed into law. No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded excluded from from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any educational program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. 37 words. They didn't seem like that big of a deal when it was written in 1972, but they would go on to change everything. On the 50th anniversary of the passage of Title IX, we want to take a look at how far we've come and how far we still need to go. Later, we'll hear from someone who was part of the first generation of Title IX. But first, Elizabeth Tang is going to break down the law for us. She's the senior counsel at the National Women's Law Center. The Biden administration announced sweeping changes to Title IX protections. Can you tell us what the Biden administration is proposing and what we need to know? Sure. Um, The regulations were released this morning. There are proposals, but they're not at the final stage yet. People will have, the public will have 60 days to comment, to give their feedback. Um, But, you know, these um, proposed regulations are very much a a step in the right direction. Um, They would do, they would undo many of the harmful changes that were put in place by the Trump administration back in 2020. Um, and really restore and strengthen protections against sexual harassment, as well as codify new protections um, for LGBTQI plus students. They would extend protections to trans students as well, correct? That's right. They would codify those protections. And I want to say that, you know, we are, you know, still looking through the role. It's a 700-page document. Um, But so far from what we've seen, we do want to push the Biden administration to um, strengthen those protections for uh, transgender students. And they've indicated that there will be a separate rulemaking specifically regarding trans inclusion in athletics. And we want to make sure that those uh, regulations are as strong as possible for trans students. It has been 50 years since Title IX was passed. Can you talk about the impact this law has had for girls in schools? Absolutely. Well, um, you know, Title IX was passed as a very broad law to prohibit sex discrimination in schools that receive federal funding. So that would include all school districts, uh, many private schools, if they receive federal funds in any way, um, all public colleges, um, most, again, most private colleges um, as well. And so um, there has been a lot of progress over the last 50 years for girls and women 
um, and LGBTQI plus students of all genders. And so we're, you know, really celebrating that um, on the 50th anniversary. But we also recognize that there is a lot of work that remains to be done. Uh, we've seen significant backlash in recent years against uh, advances in gender equity. And so um, this report, Title IX at 50, that we've um, that we have published from the National Coalition for Women and Girls in Education really dives deep into the various ways that sex discrimination, um, you know, has uh, has been uh, addressed over the last 50 years. But again, how much still remains to be done. And we've provided some uh, really specific and concrete recommendations for policymakers at all levels, federal, state, and school officials, um, to do as much as they can to really uh, fulfill the promise of Title IX. Uh, a recent poll out this week finds that two-thirds of Americans know not much or nothing at all about Title IX. Um, I am of an age where I was in uh, that first wave of kids who, you know, all of a sudden we had girls' basketball and girls' volleyball. Um, what do you think about people not realizing that this wasn't always the case? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Title IX has made great strides, particularly in women and girls' participation in athletics. Um, and athletics is still the thing that many people associate Title IX with. Um, but I want to say two points about that. One is we still have a really long way to go with athletics. Um, girls in high school currently today receive more than one million fewer opportunities to play sports than high school boys. And at the college level, that's about 60,000 fewer athletic opportunities for women than men, again, in sports. And so there's still a great gap that needs to be closed for gender equity in athletics. And that's not even, um, you know, including the inferior resources and equipment and coaching and publicity and other um, benefits that uh, women and girls receive versus men and boys. Um, and, and with athletics, you know, I want to say that there's also the matter of um, inclusion of LGBTQI plus students, and that's all very much a Title IX issue, too. And we've been seeing a lot of backlash uh, in many states that have passed or introduced uh, bans and restrictions against trans students. So sure. that's one part is, you know, that's one thing I would respond to about um, the perception around Title IX and athletics. And the other thing I'll say is Title IX, you know, touches on so many other things and, you know, includes a prohibition on sexual harassment, which we see in the Biden regulations that were proposed today. It includes prohibitions against um, sex and race-based discipline. Uh, we know that black and brown girls and LGBTQI plus children um, are uh, much more likely to be suspended and expelled because of their sex. Um, and that's an issue. You know, we... Um, also understand that Title IX provides protection for pregnant and parenting students against being pushed out of school and uh, making sure that they have the accommodations that they need um, to learn and also to, to be pregnant and to parent their children um, and what? many more. So there are so many other issues besides athletics that are covered by Title IX. And I definitely want to make sure that, you know, folks listening today understand that. Um, and, and really um, learn as much as they can about what their rights are under this federal civil rights law. And what does the fight to safeguard these protections and looking ahead to the next 50 years, what does that fight look like now? Well, I would say, you know, Title IX, again, was passed by Congress in 1972 with a very broad mandate. And I think, you know, over the next 50 years, I'm hoping that uh, we will continue to expand our understanding of what sex discrimination means and really um, strengthen protections across many areas for promoting gender equity in education. You know, the understanding that folks had in 1972 is very different and much less advanced than what we understand today in 2022. And I'm hoping that, you know, in 50 years from now, we'll have an even better understanding 
Um, the fight, you know, includes both um, strengthening affirmative protections under Title IX, but it also includes defending against backlash. You know, we see in any area of progress with respect to civil rights, any time there's progress that is made, you see an immediate backlash. And of course, on one hand, backlash means that, you know, it's working, that the message is getting out there. Um, and backlash is, you know, unfortunately very common. Folks who have been used to the status quo, who've been used to exerting their power and um, oppressing, you know, um, certain marginalized communities are, you know, afraid um, when they see that their power is being eroded and when they see equity actually um, being achieved. And so there's a lot of backlash right now, whether that is um, extremist so-called men's rights advocates um, pushing forth a very false um, and harmful narrative about, uh, you know, the false accusations of sexual harassment and assault and dating violence. Um, we know that, um, that sexual harassment, uh, reports of sexual harassment are, um, you know, as credible as any other types of reports of harm and misconduct. But there is this prevailing myth, this rape myth, that women and girls tend to lie about sexual assault. And so we're seeing that backlash play out right now. So um, and of course, it's certainly been exacerbated by um, the recent defamation trial between um, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Um, and this growing misunderstanding that, um, you know, survivors and victims are lying about the abuse that they face. So that's, you know, one form of backlash that we have to be very vigilant against, that we have to fight against. And the other major one that, you know, and there are many, but the other major one I want to emphasize again is this growing, um, the growing attack, an, an unprecedented wave of attacks against um, LGBTQI plus students, particularly trans girls and women. Um, and that's across um, you know, all types of contexts, including in schools, but also in their access to health care, their ability to, you know, stay with their families. Um, and so, yeah, that is, I think, another area that we're seeing a major backlash in. I, I want to make sure that, you know, in the next 50 years, uh, we continue to um, preserve and strengthen those rights. That's Elizabeth Tang, Senior Counsel with the National Women's Law Center. Elizabeth, thanks for speaking with us. Now we're going to turn to someone who was part of the first generation of Title IX. Melissa Isaacson is an assistant professor at Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University, a longtime sports reporter and the author of the 2019 book, State, A Team, A Triumph, A Transformation. So here it is, the 50th anniversary of Title IX. It is not specifically sports-related, but it has played a big role in shaping sports programs in schools and, by extension, equal opportunities for, for girls and young women. And you were a longtime sports reporter, someone who played high school sports. Um, what did those 37 little words of Title IX, what did they mean to you? Oh, my. Uh, it meant absolutely everything. It literally, uh, the reason I have the word transformation in the title of my book is because it really did change our lives in so many ways, um, not just in the moment, but the women we would become. I think, you know, little boys at a very young age back then uh, and still are given a, you know, a bat and a ball and a glove and, a, and more importantly, a uniform and a team to play on and immediately, you know, learn life skills, um, learn how to be good teammates and learn uh, you know, teamwork and, and sacrificing and, and leadership and, and negotiating and strategizing and all kinds of things that uh, not coincidentally, you know, help them in later years um, to become successful people. 
successful adults. And, you know, in the 70s, you can relate. I mean, we didn't have those kind of opportunities until uh, Title IX. And so, I, you know, I was a tomboy, but I became an athlete in high school. And those are two very, very different things. And yeah. And up, of, up until yeah. up until the 70s, basically, your option was to either play intramural sports or to be a cheerleader for the boys teams. So let, let's just you've referred to this, but let's go back to 1975, Melissa. So a few years after Title IX was enacted into law and you were a freshman in high school in Niles and you wanted to play basketball. Did you know at the time that things had suddenly changed and you got to be on a on a school team? I mean, I think that we were somewhat aware of it, um, but but more, you know, all we knew uh, was that we had a team to play on and that we suddenly had, you know, a state championship to play for. And But but really, it, it was so basic. It was really just having our first uniforms, you know, as teenagers, which was incredible. And to be able to play in the same gym as the boys, which wasn't uh, something that we had uh, the opportunity to do in, in 75. We weren't able to play in what they called the boys' gym. It was the ma- main gym in the school uh, practice or play. So when we were given that, you know, uh, right to play in that gym with glass backboards and regulation courts, it was a huge deal. Uh, so, you know, those it's, we started out just being so appreciative for, for really, really basic things that boys had had, you know, for so many years. And can you tell us about your basketball coach, Arlene Mulder? Oh my gosh, yeah, you know she was um, she's really a hero of mine, and, and you know was then, still is. Um, she was someone who uh, had a background in sports. She was in, she was very athletic. She was an AAU athlete in California, um, but she got to Niles West. They paid her very little, as most women and really all coaches back then. But she wasn't afraid to ask for help. She wasn't afraid to go to the boys' coach at our school at the time, and and get his guidance and he was generous to give that but she also taught him about so many things uh so many motivational skills and she worked with the men at the school who didn't want us in the gym and and not coincidentally she became one of the most successful local politicians um really in in the country she became a five-term mayor of arlington heights and to this day is is one of the favorite politicians in the state so uh, she was a wonderful woman and really paved the way and, and was a hero of many of ours. We know from your book and from people who, who lived around here in 1979 that you and Niles West won the state championship. You were one of the first girls team to do that in Illinois high school history. What did that feel like for you and your friends and what did your community uh, feed back to you? Oh, wow. I mean, you talk about going from, you know, that freshman year of not uh, being able to play in the big gym to four years later having that same gym packed, you know, standing room only crowds, uh, wearing a uniform with with our school name on it, which we didn't have at first, and having a parade through the township after we won, it gave us this feeling of anything was possible. And I think, you know, that was kind of the prevailing thing in 1979, if you would have said to us, that in 50 years, 40 to 50 years from then, that we'd still be having some of these same discussions about, you know, what we don't have and how far we have to go. I think we would be profoundly disappointed because we felt like we could all be president and we could all be the coach of the Bulls and we could be, 
you know, the GM and, and whatever we wanted. And so it was a magical time back then. But when you look back, it's sort of sad now that we're still we're still talking about some of these same things. So, Melissa, let's now look at today. And uh, again, you referred to some of the disappointments uh, compared to what you were expecting back in 1979. Do you think Title IX is as important today as it was 50 years ago? Oh, absolutely. And Elizabeth touched on many of the, of the things we're still, you know, looking toward. And, you know, it's it's absolutely a time to, um, if not celebrate, at least observe how, again, it changed my life and the lives of so many other girls and women with the opportunities we were given. Um, but at the same time, we really, really need to look to all the same, uh, you know, all the inequities that still exist. Uh, there's 34% of head coaches for women's teams in the NCAA are, are white women. Just 7% are women of color. Both those percentages are really alarming. Um, athletic directors, just 4% are women of color, 20% um, for white women. So, um, you know, there's fewer opportunities for uh, students of color in high schools, um, there's only something like 40% of high schools that predominantly serve students of color have large opportunity gaps for girls in sports. Um, compliance, you know, is, is a real problem. There's not Title IX police running around. Hmm. So everything from, you know, there's gross inequities across every division um, in terms of uh, resources in women's athletic programs, well, dollars allocated. Last yeah. year we saw the NCAA women's players, you know, showing, or two years ago we saw pictures of what the women's uh, tournament players were getting in terms of, you know, uh, gyms yeah, and, and weights and food compared to the guys. And it was it, it was not equitable at all. No, not at all. And I think that while a lot of people were shocked by that photo of that weight room that looked like, I don't know what, you yeah. know, just terrible, that if you would have asked women athletes across the country, they'd probably kind of shrug and be like, well, you know, I'm not shocked. Because while it's maybe good... Uh, in some universities in Northwestern, certainly one of them, there's there's just a lot of problems across across the country in terms of, uh, you know, during COVID, there were just rash of uh, of programs of women's programs being eliminated with um, the excuse that well, you know, it's Title IX, you know, we have to uh, men's programs as well, you know, we have to equal the playing field without the real understanding of of what the real rules are. And so, um, it, it, you know, the education of, of what is, um, you know, the lack of knowledge among educators about what Title IX is, is really one of the problems. And I think, uh, you know, then you'll see more compliance, I hope, because it's really a far, far uh, cry from where we should be. And and this fall, you are spearheading a three-day event at Northwestern commemorating Title IX's anniversary. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, thanks so much. Um, it will be October 27, 28, 29, three days of panel discussions and speeches and screenings and various events. Uh, we want to look ahead. We want to, uh, you know, exactly what we're talking about today, that, yes, let's let's look back uh, let's kind of educate our students on where Title IX came from. Let's look at where we are now, but let's also look forward. And, uh, you know, we have people from uh, from sports, from business, from 
uh, we've got scholars coming in. We've got journalists. We've got uh, Senator Evan Bayh, former senator, who's a son of the late uh, Birch Bayh, one of the co-authors of Title IX, who will be joining us remotely. Um, but we also have just uh, a, a a host of, of wonderful, um, really learned people to talk about, you know, what we're talking about today and shed some light uh, on on this, you know, unbelievable law, this wonderful law, and yet one that we need to really cling to and really uh, make sure that we uh, comply with. Sure. Uh, Title IX opened some doors, and now we need to, to get the windows open, too. That's Melissa Isaacson, longtime sports writer for ESPN and the Chicago Tribune, assistant professor at Northwestern University, and the author of the book, State, A Team, A Triumph, A Transformation. Melissa, thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you, Mary. Thank you so much. That's it for today's Reset. Stick with this podcast to stay up to date on the week's other top stories. We drop a new episode every weekday afternoon, sometimes on the weekends, too. I'm Mary Dixon. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again tomorrow for WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.